Hey, welcome to episode 127 of Decentralized Revolution. Uh, my name's Aaron. I am one of your hosts tonight, along with... Did you forget our names? Oh, I did the... I messed up again. We're live, but I'm just going to call it out. I had the YouTube feed going in the background, so I got an echo. But <laughs> that's the second time I've done this on the show, and I'll try not to do it again. But uh, I'm Aaron. With me is Michael Heiss, chair of the Mises Caucus. Hey, Mike. What's and going on? Brandy, how are you doing? Great. Uh, how, how are things in Massachusetts? Is it as bad as I think it is in Massachusetts? It's not that bad. I think that it's, I mean, no, not that bad. Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, we, uh, Mike had mentioned, I think last, um, last show, we kind of hinted that uh, somebody was going to run for president. And we've kind of known about this for a couple of weeks. I know a lot of people were disappointed when Dave Smith didn't run. Uh, and we're all disappointed that Ron Paul is not 20 years younger. Um, but uh, uh, we were excited when uh, this guest uh, came along and wanted to do it. But do, before we bring him on, Mike, what do uh, we want to direct people to? Takehumanaction.com, if you want to sign up for the email list, is one thing. Uh, anything else we want to call people's attention to? Yeah, sign up to the email list, takehumanaction.com. Uh, we'll have updates on the Defend the Guard call bombs, on the Project Decentralized Revolution candidates, uh, and uh, and more and more for uh, the Wrecking World campaign as well. So uh, coming into convention season, make sure you're joining the party, renewing your membership, and uh, you know getting involved. And we will see you in D.C. in May for the national convention where – uh, we will, you know, retain the party and uh, and put up a solid candidate. Yeah, and just like uh, last year in Reno, uh, next year in DC, uh, which was set before Angela got in. Why we would want to have it in DC, but we are. Um, but it's going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be Memorial Day weekend, and the reason it's one of the reasons it's going to be fun is because our guest tonight, Dr. Michael Rechtenwald, um, you've got uh, you got your work cut out for you between now and then. I was just telling you earlier like i just personal thanks for you being willing to step up and do something that a lot of other people either won't or can't do for one reason uh or another uh, a lot of people wanted to a lot of people know your work really well uh some people don't and i thought it was also kind of ironic that i think in some ways you might be a little more well known outside the inside of the lp than among like hardcore libertarian activists and party members. So we wanted to just give people a chance to ask questions uh, and get to know you. Um, and yeah. uh, we'll get into that. But so for people who don't know you very well yet, or maybe not at all, 10 years ago, you were a, a Marxist professor at NYU. And here you are on a Monday night talking to me about running for president as, as a libertarian. So yeah. welcome and tell us how, how you got, got here tonight. Hi there. It's great to be here tonight. Thanks for having me. I just want to say that I will not be a disappointment uh, candidate. I'm going to bring a tremendous energy to this campaign. Uh, as you mentioned, I, uh, I'm well known outside of uh, the Libertarian Party, and I'll be bringing that platform into the campaign. And that includes thousands and thousands of uh, supporters uh, and people that have gotten to know me from all kinds of media, including mainstream media, but many, many podcasts, many, many, many 
radio appearances, both network and local. Uh, so I've been writing books and putting out a tremendous amount of content from a libertarian perspective. I've been giving speeches for the Mises Institute. I've been writing for the Mises Institute, podcasting for the Mises Institute. And uh, I'm fully steeped in libertarianism and libertarian literature. Uh, my background is that I was, yes, I was a Marxist uh, several years ago. And uh, whenever the woke mob came for me at NYU, when I spoke up against uh, social justice, so-called, they came after me with a vengeance. And I have to say here that I stood them down. Uh, I stood down the woke mob and I did not uh, relent. What they did was try to cancel me from the university. They tried to destroy my academic career. Uh, and uh, they forcibly dislodged the scales of their ideology from my eyes. And I instantly became a civil libertarian first. And then upon uh, a great deal of reading, and I'm a quick study, uh, within a few years, I was uh, fully steeped in libertarian theory, economics, and social theory. And uh, I am uh, well positioned for this nomination because I'm going to bring a tremendous amount of new people into the party to run uh, at the local level to vote libertarian. And I have a broad reach well beyond the libertarian circles. And as it's already evidence. We, we just did a fundraising uh, letter and uh, just to my own uh, email list, and we did incredibly well, just to my email list. Uh, and so we've got tremendous support, and I'm going to bring people into the party that haven't been members, and I'm going to get people running on the local level, and that's what it'll mean to wreck the regime. We're looking at creating local control, local control of, the gov of government, getting the feds off of our back, getting the globalists off of our back, and initiating a takeover of, of localities and states across the country. Now, Sounds like you, uh, you've been reading a, a lot of uh, uh, what we've been putting out, uh, the Mises Caucus, and obviously you know, you've been on the po podcast uh, two or three times before, and I, I'm really glad to hear that, uh, that that's going to be your focus of like, hey, it's not just about well, I, I want to kind of jump right into this. So like a lot of times it's a ground um, up, it's a ground up campaign, not a top down. We're not trying to impose anything from the top. I'm not Michael Rechtenwald. I will go in and wreck the regime from the top of the state. No, I am running to uh, uh, to get to gather a momentum from the ground up. Yeah, and that's how we're going to wreck the, the regime. I, and I think in past libertarian candidacies, um, they, they kind of play the game of like, oh, yes, I think we can win. Just let me in the debates and then I'll convince everybody. And like, obviously, that's probably not going to happen short of something really weird um, and unprecedented happening. Yeah. So what we need to do is educate people and build that movement so that a few years down the road, maybe 20, maybe 30, maybe 10, that what that movement is big. Moment. Yeah, talk about that. What have you been seeing from uh, from that the Argentinian guy? He's he's pretty crazy. I don't think you can get that kind of energy with the chainsaw and the and the hairpiece and all that. But yeah. well, you know, I'm 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 going to work on quaffing my hair a little bit, <laughs> and uh, you can see I have a slight Javier Malay uh, look right now. I'm I'm going to go for the uh, punk rock look, and I, I, I you know he's a '70s band look, so I'll go for '80s. 
And uh, what I'm, well, yeah, I mean, I think he's, he's bringing uh, tremendous, first of all, clarity, principles into uh, politics in Argentina. And uh, we're going to do the same thing here. Yeah, we probably won't have a Javier Malay moment uh, in this cycle, but once we gain 5% of the party, or 5% of the vote on the national election, then we qualify for matching funds, matching funds which shouldn't exist, but that do. The system is rigged, of course. But once we gain uh, that 5%, then we have a real uh, three-party system in the United States. And that's really um, the major uh, goal here. Mike, go yeah, ahead. I, I, I like that because it's because the idea is like I, I like Aaron said, candidates will come in and be like, oh, you know, it, we might not win. But, you know, there's a chance. And and, you know, I, I think if we free ourselves from that, from that yeah. narrative, you know, and just kind of give up what I would consider the company line and, and kind of humble ourselves and set the goal realistically. Five percent. If, if we get five percent, you wreck the two party regime up top. And then while running, you know, you you are going to call for all liber you're calling for all libertarians to run with you and wreck exactly. the regime with you. So I think it's exactly. a it's a message of unity. It's a it's a message of uh, of being effective uh, right. and it's and it's radical in, in principle as well. I'm, I'm calling for people to run with me. I'm building an army, not a troll army, but an army of actual real life, real person activists on the ground, uh, not a bunch of Twitter trolls, but real people who are willing to put skin in the game like me and wreck the regime from the ground up yeah leading from the front i like it uh i have a question uh so how do you plan to make libertarian ideas more appealing to a broader audience well i think by telling them the truth you know about mm -hmm. about what the the real ruling class is you know i mean so a lot of people are unconscious and con conscious Marxists. They don't realize they have absorbed uh, Marxist ideas into their thinking, with you know, without knowing what they're even where they even came from. So I'm going to talk to them about the actual ruling class, which is the state and its beneficiaries. This is the this is the kind of consciousness we need to cultivate in the population, so they know who their real enemy is. And uh, this is what I'm going to uh, do is I'm going to clarify for them just what this regime consists of, what they're doing to us and how we can stop them. OK, yeah. I mean, I think that you being coming from the Marxist perspective is, a, in my opinion, a benefit. Uh, I know some people were trying to point that as a negative. I don't really understand how that's a negative because it means that you understand how those people think. So yep. it's easier for you to actually like change their minds. And I, because exactly. I also came from that that direction too. And the way that I communicate with people on the left uh, is very different than I think uh, someone that has always been conservative or always been um, on the right. Like I think they have a hard time articulating those ideas to them because they don't understand why they think the way that they do. They just think, right. like, oh, you're all just stupid. They think, yeah, I mean, if you just think people are stupid instead of misled, then you're starting from a, a bad place. Mm -hmm. People are not stupid. They just have been fed a lot of garbage. I mean, we the whole education system is nothing but a massive propaganda uh, machine. It's a, you know, it's a sausage factory for producing little statists. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we need to get these ideas out there and really clarify them so they know exactly what's 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 against them what what is the world up against what are we looking at and uh so that's that's what i intend to do and to 
and yes, because I was a Marxist uh, several years ago, uh, I understand exactly where these people are coming from. Even if they're not Marxists, many are just unconscious Marxists. They don't know it. And these ideas need to be blown out of the water. So why do you think that uh, when you started kind of, you know, the, 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 the awakening kind of started to happen when you started to see the snowflake stuff. One of your books is called uh, springtime for snowflakes. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think um, led you in the direction of, you know, Mises, Hayek, Rothbard, Hoppe, rather than, you know, like a standard sort of like Russell Kirk, Bill Buckley conservatism uh, or something yeah. like that. Well, I'd always been anti-war, even as a leftist, I'd always been anti, uh, governmental uh oppression i hated the alphabet agencies i always hated the uh repressive apparatuses of the state so you know that was a given i didn't have to change everything it just changed where the pieces fit together and uh and the general orientation so yeah i mean all of those things were part of my thinking in the first place i didn't end up as your standard Republican uh, rhino or otherwise uh, sort of uh, uh, voter or, or supporter. I, I, I gravitated towards libertarianism, especially since actually libertarians reached out to me. I was uh, reached out, out to by Tom Woods early on, and he had me on his show. And I knew that I was uh, already knew that I was a civil libertarian at this point. I knew that when I wrote Springtime for Snowflakes, and I mentioned it in that book. But after I, I got introduced to the economics, uh, it was beautiful because it gave me all of the machinery to dump, demolish Marxism uh, and absolutely obliterate it from my thinking and in, uh, in practice. I've been uh, a cr fierce critic of, uh, of socialism now ever since. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, the libertarians reached out to me first. Then I became, you know, and I already, as I said, I really already considered myself a civil libertarian thanks to what I had experienced. And, uh, and then, you know, I was invited to speak at the Mises Institute very early on. And I've since spoken for them, I think, five times. I'll be speaking uh, this weekend as well at a Mises Institute event. Uh, called Our Limitless Regime, and I'll be talking about wrecking the regime there, except not using that language because it can't be a campaign speech. But anyway, yeah, um, I think that uh, that sums it up. So when you're talking to, um, I know you have talked to some conservative audiences, especially about the Great Reset stuff, like what are the things that you're able to say to clarify for them that this is not about just, as Michael Malice says, you know, we want to be progressives, but drive the speed limit, right? So what about the libertarian message that are you have you been able to articulate that that gets the attention of non libertarians or people who may kind of think they might be libertarian, but but not quite what's working for you? Well, what works for me is by, as I said before, is pointing out who is it that who is it that we have no contract with that we never signed an agreement with? What organization do we have no escape from, uh, you know, other than our families, which we could even leave those, but we can't leave the state. And we, we have an involuntary relationship with the state. The state is the only 
uh, entity that is able to extort money out of us with, uh, against our will. So I, I, I make that very clear, and I think that's an extremely important point to, for people to understand really who the enemy is. And so uh, that's one thing, and uh, I would say just the, the, the idea that, uh, of private property and that it begins with oneself, and I can demonstrate to people that they assume that they have property in themselves anytime they open their mouths. Uh, and I think this obviously comes from Hoppe, Hoppe's uh, argumentation ethics, which I think are valid. And, and then it extends our private property to whatever we mix our labor with, as Locke put it. And uh, so once you get these principles down, and then you, you can explain that any kind of state intervention to redistribute wealth is theft, and it's immoral. It is not just, un, uh, it's not just uh, economically uh, unsound, which it is, but it's also immoral from the first. Something I find interesting about your evolution is not only did you you go from being a Marxist to a libertarian, but, you know, you're not some, oh, well, you know, we should uh, uh, reform and, and uh, you know, get some smaller government and maybe we should cut taxes and maybe do a fair tax. And you're, you're a full born like hoppy and ANCAP. What yes, what was it? What was it made? What was it that made you go all the way like that? Well, that was part of my reading. I mean, I. I teetered with minarchism for a while, and I teetered on the brink of anarcho-capitalism, but it really was Rothbard and uh, Hoppe that uh, finally uh, clinched it for me. Uh, it's very clear to me after reading that that the full libertarian perspective is gained through a property, uh, a fully private property society. Uh, that's the object. Of course, we're not going to reach it anytime soon. I'm not a utopian. Uh, I don't, you know, not like Marxists who are utopian, and there are some libertarians, I think, uh, that are utopian in their outlook. Uh, but I think that that has to be the asymptote, the goal that we never reach, but which has to be maintained as a goal. And Murray Rothbard made very clear that you can use the state to dismantle the state. So you might ask, why are you running for office if you think the state is the enemy? Because you can use the state to dismantle it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think Ron Paul, like the 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 best example of this is Ron Paul, right? Like yeah, at least in the minds of people. Which um, I'm a big proponent that you know, for uh, libertarians, we talk about the power of the state a lot, and and uh, that's all absolutely true. But I don't think we talk about the mind control of the state and how that is the number one weapon. It's 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 psychological control uh, over people, and yeah. uh, that and we have to wake them up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so I think that's really kind of the number one uh, role of the, the libertarian candidate. Yes, it's um, to wake people up from the psychological abuse and propagandizing uh, and conditioning that they have been subjected to probably their whole lives. Uh, there's a lot of conditioning goes on. And uh, a lot of this comes through a tacit assumptions uh, that people never question. They're never led to question these assumptions because they're 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 accepted as givens, uh, whereas we're 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 going to overturn those ideas that are taken as givens, uh, assumptions that have to be challenged at the root. Uh, and I consider myself a total radical, and that is I go to the root, and uh, that's where I'm coming from. Awesome.
Um, so, what? Oh, go ahead, sorry. Randy. Oh, no, I was just—I was just gonna say, uh, like, hi, so Brandy. what? Hi. <laughs> so, what uh, policy areas do you plan on focusing on for this campaign? Like, what are the? Well, yeah, that's a great question. So, the main thing is that we're talking about decentralization, localization, getting resting control away from the federal government and vesting vesting it in the local and state governments to the local level as far down we can as we can get. Now, on various issues, I have various takes and stances on on various issues. I have stakes on I have a uh, position on just about anything mm. uh, including, you know, uh, some of the thornier ones for libertarians like uh, like immigration and abortion and all that. Uh, but I think the general thrust of the campaign is actually decentralization, localization, uh, decentral decentralized revolution. So that's I, w I would say that's more the solution. Right. But what yeah. do you think are the What do you think are the major issues of the day um, okay. that we can use to engage people? Okay, well, of course, we're dealing with uh, state overreach in a number of areas. For example, uh, we have uh, shown, has been shown uh, through the Twitter files and through uh, the Missouri versus Biden case that big tech, for example, is operating on, at the behest of and under the direction of the state to censor and control information. Uh, so people are being censored at the behest of the state through the proxy of big tech. Uh, and this is an enormous, uh, enormous disadvantage and an enormous. Uh, really, it's a it's a it's a it's a violation of the First Amendment uh, straight up. So we need to talk about how we must get rid of uh, federal agencies in, uh, interfering with uh, the free speech of, of individuals and groups, uh, on, in big tech platforms and elsewhere in the media as well, cut the ties between the state and the media and social media and search, uh, engines as well, because, uh, Google's totally rigged. It's rigged as a search engine. It banishes and bans certain speech. It, it disappears people and websites it's a control system. It was, first of all, funded by the CIA's InQtel funding agency from the start. It receives federal contracts uh, to continue doing effectively information gathering and control. This was how it was in, uh, conceived at the outset and what, what it was from the inception. Then, of course, there's the COVID crisis that we went through. So, and we probably may be revisiting, uh, unfortunately. And in this Don't case, we're, yeah, can you believe it? In this case, we, we need to show just how uh, this, how the state uh, ruined the economy, uh, forced people into uh, isolation, uh, controlled their uh, bodies by forcing vaccines on them uh, uh, and pushing this vaccine regime, which is outrageous. Uh, we need to talk about bodily autonomy as a right. And uh, this is something that like the Cato Institute caved on, for example, during the pandemic, so-called. Uh, the Libertarian to... Party caved on. It, it, OK, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just ridiculous uh, that this was 
lost. This whole idea of bodily autonomy was completely uh, lost in the conversation. Uh, so the idea of other people's safety came before one's rights. And uh, this has to be overturned. And, uh, of course, we're looking at uh, the war in, in Ukraine as a major, major uh, problem, a major threat to our not only to our uh, economic uh, order in terms of the money that's being sent over there, but we're looking and the arms that are being sent over there. We're also looking at uh, the potential for an escalation into something like World War III, which even has the potential, of course, of nuclear war. So this has to be stopped. And these are like major issues uh, that I will be speaking about uh, very strongly and with no equivocation. What are what are some ways that you like? How do you plan on conducting the campaign? You know what I mean. Like, what what do you yeah. think are are the um, the demographics out there that would be helpful to target um, and with your campaign? And how do you how do you intend to like punch up to the regime? Yeah, I mean that's a great question. So first of all, you know, having a a background as a college professor, having taught in universities for twenty five years. Um, I have a natural uh, in with the university uh, system, and I have a, a unique um, experience in talking with young people, university-age students in particular. So I plan on, uh, you know, uh, enlisting and going around universities and en enrolling those students into the campaign uh, to, you know, basically uh, undertake the Ron Paul strategy of reaching the young uh, at the, at their place of uh, where they where they are at the colleges and uh, universities all across the country. So we're going to have a uh, a campaign that focuses on getting young people involved uh, at the at the local level, at the at the national level, and, and so forth. So and then of course I ha as I said before, I bring a big platform in terms of media. Now that's not only mainstream. Uh, which I don't expect to be the main uh, focus at all, but rather podcasts and, uh, you know, big podcasts and small podcasts and, uh, you know, alternative media. Uh, but also, you know, I plan on getting on the ground and I will be, you know, knocking on doors to uh, get, get the LP on the ballot in various states and also to uh, encourage local uh local, uh, re uh, you know, candidates to run for office. Yeah. I mean, as far as the podcast circuit and everything like that, you, um, right out of the gate, Dave and, uh, Dave Smith came out and gave you, uh, uh, you know, a shining endorsement, a very, Huge very strong endorsement. Um, yep. and, uh, I think that was one of the big advantages that, that, uh, Dave had in, in his, uh, potential run was that he can, you know, he's, he can get on Rogan, he gets on uh, Megyn Kelly, he gets on uh, Patrick Bet David, he gets on all these platforms. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my hope with that he would be able to help you out with some of these, well, these platforms. Well, I, 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 I could use his help, but in a way, I, I, in, a, in another sense, I, I don't need it entirely because I've been on many of these shows myself uh, and I can get back on them, especially with this new message. Uh, that'll be uh, very helpful to um, to the campaign and the Libertarian Party and the country to get uh, these platforms uh, lined up. And uh, they are coming already and uh, they will be in place. And I will be speaking on major podcasts 
Uh, I'm not going to say names right now, but yeah, we're, we're all. Right. How about this? Why don't you tell tell people about some of the media that you've been on in just the past week? Uh, okay. Well, in the past week, I've been on uh, two Russian television networks, uh, three times each. Uh, I've been on uh, several podcasts. Uh, I've been on. Uh, well, in the last two weeks, I've been on uh, some. Uh, uh, alternative media. I've been, you know, I mean, I have appearances in places that some libertarians not, might not like, but I speak the libertarian message where I go. I've been on Steve well, Bannon. Give us, yeah, there you go. I was going to say, give yeah. us names. I know you were on Steve Bannon, you were on RT. Yeah, Steve Bannon, The War Room, uh, and RT, and NTV, which is another Russian network. That's all in the past uh, five days. Gotcha. Yeah, and I mean, look, people can say they don't like it, uh, all they want. I hope you get on CNN. I yeah. hope you get on, on Fox. I hope you get on OANN. I hope you get on the Young Turks. I hope you get on Vice. I hope you get on anything and everything you can yeah. uh, to, to reach as many people as you can. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to get on, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Dore and, uh, you know, other outlets like that are, are not exactly libertarian because if we don't reach people outside of this echo chamber, it will be an echo chamber. So, you know, if you want to just talk to ourselves, let's just stay in the same grooves that we're in right now. And let's forget about the broader population and let's keep the Libertarian Party uh, in its anemic state. Let's instead grow the party by getting the message more broadly and, and therefore not condemning somebody who's spoken on Fox uh, at least 15 times and uh, probably every show on that network. Uh, from the morning through the night, uh, Fox and Friends, Fox, uh, Fox and Friends First, uh, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, Dan Bongino. I've been on mall. Uh, so, yeah. What's it like being on like a Tucker or something like that? Just as a as just a human experience. Well, I've I've had a little experience in media outside, like doing this stuff, and um, you've always done. I love well. it. I mean, what yeah. happens? I, I, you know, when I'm on big, the bigger the stage, the better I feel. Uh, so when I when I get on a massive network like that, uh, and a Tucker show that had at the time uh, like five million viewers, uh, it's it's a th it's a thrill, and uh, I turn on and uh, I, I I find that I uh, I deliver uh, to the bigger audiences probably better than I do to smaller ones. So yeah. it's, it's fun. No, it's scary in a way. You, you have to be on that day. You can't be off at all uh, or you just blow your uh, your chance. So you yeah. have to be on top of it. And uh, so, you know, that's uh, something that I, I thrive on. You mentioned a little bit about the big tech stuff and uh, you kind of touched on it, but also along with the the DEI stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Because, again, sort of the previous LP regime uh, former chairs, um, uh, before Angela and, and, and kind of that Cato Institute reason, yeah. some, some of the reason magazine people will be like, Hey, what's wrong. It's a, I know this is a softball, but like, Hey, it's a private company. Um, we just have to, you know, propose better ideas and convince people and all this stuff. But like, you've done a lot of writing both on the, the tech stuff and the DEI stuff. And so like mm -hmm. make your case to like, again, like an average sort of voter who mm -hmm. may not see the big deal or, or better yet. I think a lot of people are just kind of starting to wake up like, Hey, this is weird that like all these companies 
have commercials with all these themes and they're mm-hmm. obviously pushing some message. So a person who's not really awake yet on this stuff, mm-hmm. what, why is that happening and what, what should a libertarian president and the libertarian movement do about that? It's happening because of the ESG and DEI is part of the ESG. In effect, it's uh, the ESG is of course the environmental, social and governance index. And the S part of that is the social and that's where DEI fits in, or I call it God, the D-I-E, die, uh, because it's so nefarious. Uh, it happens because uh, of investment capital and the threat from large-scale investors like BlackRock, Inc., and Vanguard, and State Street to, uh, to basically starve all of the uh, companies that don't abide by their, by their measures, by their criteria, out of business. This is why you had... Dylan Mulvaney on Bud Light's beer can uh, and having him as a spokesman for the company because they're trying to get investment funds. They, they will forego a, a, a bit of market share in order to get that capital. Uh, that's, what's, that's really what's at stake. And it's a massive distortion of the marketplace. It uh, leads to market distortion. It's, uh, it's coercion uh, by these companies, by these asset managers and investors. Uh, these major asset managers are basically coercing. Larry Fink said, in a sense, almost verbatim, he said, unless you get on board the ESG, you'll be starved. Uh, you'll, be, you'll wither on the vine. You will not get capital investments. So that's really what's going on. That's what's driving it. And the ESG is the main lever. DEI, I would see, is a subcategory of that under the S part or the social uh, of the ESG. Um, I've got something here. Um, uh, our friend Hector down in Florida has that question. So like mm-hmm. not, not only of like, so I, I think that what you said is very true. Like it's about they're willing to, to alienate half of their customer base because they know that the bankers who loan the money and mm-hmm. who are the closest to the money faucet, which is the fed, like that just shows, yeah. goes to show how, how, unbelievably powerful the federal reserve system is, Mm -hmm. is that you can basically tell half of your, um, uh, customer base to screw off. And I'd rather, you know, cozy up to these guys. Uh, so not only is, is there that and the implications to the monetary system, but like kind of the Hector's question there for those people who are just listening is DEI effective, effectively the Chinese social credit system? What does that mean mm-hmm. for Americans' daily lives? So yeah. it's not just to enrich corporations mm-hmm. at the expense of normal people, which is fascism. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. also kind of the woke fascism to mm-hmm. what, it, what is their goal to do socially with all that? Okay. Um, yeah. First of all, it's a cartel scheme. Uh, I should point that out, that ESG is effectively a cartel scheme. It's a way of creating what I call a woke cartel and driving all other competitors out of business. So it's a scheme, a shared monopoly scheme. Uh, Second of all, it's a way of controlling these companies' production so that they can't produce the X, Y, and Z. And likewise, you as a consumer can't buy X, Y, and Z. And and then it's controlling uh, the the materials that they they can use in in production and uh, the transportation and every aspect of companies is now being impacted by ESG. This raises prices. It also uh, directs capital to these compliant corporations and away from the rest who are starved of capital investment. 
and it distorts it 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 also you know is effectively a redistribution campaign uh in the terms of the s part of this which is where dei comes in and yes it is like a social credit score for companies and it's likely to be associated with individuals that are, we're likely to get an esg score for individuals and then if they institute the central bank digital currency that means they'll be able to basically have a social credit score on you uh, and that could impact what you can do with your money. Uh, this could impact whether you can buy certain things at all, whether you're allowed to buy gas, uh, whether you're allowed to buy meat, uh, certainly whether you're allowed to buy arms, and any number of things uh, will be under the surveillance of the Fed, and likewise, because the Fed is an agency of the state, the federal government, although a private bank, so-called, it is nevertheless an agency of the state, and that means the federal government will have uh, transparency over everything you do. And then if you're a dissident, of course, you could be barred from the economy altogether. So yeah, it's a social credit scoring system and it's connected to uh, DEI and it's connected to ESG and it's also connected to CBDC. So, something I find really sad about the whole ESG thing is is that traditionally capitalism is, is um, a way for people to come together peacefully through markets. You know, you kind of take the whole eye pencil example of, oh, you know, the rubber comes from the tree in this country and the lead comes from over here. And, you know, these might be people who have very diverse and different backgrounds, maybe not even speak the same language or maybe even hate each other, you know, mm -hmm. if, if they met uh, and yet they all kind of come together to, to, you know, create this pencil and, and it, it comes to you at a very cheap price. Right. Uh, and with ESG, we are now seeing politics in infect commerce. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, and, yeah, it's a total politicization. Yeah, and 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 so that so the same kind of warfare uh, and and power struggle is in is invading commerce and it's eroding at the at the very in my opinion the very essence of of capitalism that right. brings us all together and and I and it's just another layer of society that is politicized and therefore a battlefield. Yes, it's totally politicized in the economic order. It is uh, it is p pitting uh, players against each other on a pol on a political basis. It is eroding at the um, at the productive uh, uh, structures of, of the uh, capitalist order, and it's deindustrializing the Western world piece by piece uh, because they're uh, making it impossible to produce anything here. And uh, likewise, it benefits uh, other places, other countries that uh, don't abide by this. And, uh, and it's also a total hypocrisy. It's a totally Hippocratic uh, system, uh, hip hypocritical situation. That you know, take, take this example. Elon Musk, uh, of course, produces EVs. And uh, I think he just said today 5 million, uh, some number, 5 million uh, new EVs. And anyway... Uh, he was uh, his company Tesla was thrown off of the ES uh, the S and P 500's ESG index altogether, totally thrown off of the ESG index. While mobile mobile Exxon Mobil, and uh, I think it was uh, uh, well one one bank one major bank the major funder of uh, fossil fuel of the fossil fuel industry were put onto the top ten of the ESG. So it makes no sense. It's purely political. They attacked Musk. He was stripped off the uh, S&P 500 ESG index simply because 
he was buying Twitter and promised to be a free speech absolutist, which he hasn't been, uh, by the way, and promised to uh, uh, to leave the uh, Democratic Party, which he said was the party of division and hate. So it's completely political uh, and it has nothing to do with the environment. This is a complete uh, cartel scheme. Uh, it's a control scheme. It's a monopoly scheme. And uh, it is damaging to the economy, damaging to our industrial base and extremely pernicious altogether. It's robbing free market players. It's infringing upon their property rights. Uh, they should be able to do with their property what they wish, not being told by uh, these overlords like uh, uh, Fish and Klaus Schwab. Uh, in effect, what they can do with their money. And of course, it's backed up then by legislation and executive fiat in the case of Biden's 12 executive orders to this effect. Go ahead. And since you just mentioned uh, my favorite uh, uh, Bond, real life Bond supervillain, mm-hmm. Klaus Schwab, like, uh, yeah. uh, tell us about the book. How's the book doing? And like, why is that? Uh, I'm so glad you're the guy who wrote that book at, at this time about the great reset. So give everybody your, your take on what you've learned about that. And can we get the impression? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The book is called the great reset and the struggle for Liberty unraveling the global agenda, but just the great reset and the struggle for Liberty. And uh, this book takes on all the aspects of this so-called great reset from its economic uh, to its social, to its technological, to its, uh, Uh, population control elements, it's climate catastrophism. All of those those pieces are treated and shown uh, how they connect and uh, what the overall arch of this uh, program is, what it's aiming to do, and how we can foil it. Uh, It's doing very well. The book has been doing very well. Uh, I've gotten uh, a lot of readers. There's a lot of sales and uh, you know, it's uh, it's 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 holding its own very much on Amazon, for example. And I, I sell the book directly from my website, michaelrechtenwald.com, and I've gotten I've gotten thousands of orders, uh, direct orders, and I signed them all. But anyway, point is the the book is uh, it, it treats the whole uh, panoply of the Great Reset, including the Fourth Industrial Revolution, uh, the climate change catastrophism, and the, it takes on the climate sa- science, so called directly, which I think is at least flimsy, if not outright fraudulent. I, I saw that the book was promoted by Jordan Peterson as well. Uh, yes, and, that's right. and, and I, that again, this just kind of goes back to what, like one of the things I love about you as a candidate is that you have got these connections and these reaches outside of, of our circles that is yeah. very, very uncommon uh, with, yeah. with, uh, libertarian candidates. Yeah, I can write Jordan Peterson anytime and say, how about tweeting this? Uh, or he does it on his own. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reach there. Uh, and, you know, he's not the only one. There's plenty of others uh, in the media and uh, in uh, the public sphere uh, that are, you know, I'm very familiar with and very friendly with. Actually, Jordan Peterson uh, is somewhat of a friend. We're, we're, we're not like the best bosom buddies, but we are we're on friendly terms and he does respond to me. He does respond to my emails and he does a lot of stuff for me. He's been very, very kind. You've spoken at events together, correct? Yes. How many? Uh, just two. Two. Okay. And we've been on podcasts together, uh, three times, I think. Um, 
yeah so we've we've been on the same stage we spoke at a common sense society uh conference uh i think it was in yeah it was in uh, west palm beach uh back in the spring of uh 2022 and uh we spoke at another event and he's he actually invited me to be part of the uh uh, Alliance for Responsible Citizens organization called ARC uh, for short. And uh, that's being held in London. I was going to go. I actually signed up. He sent me a personal invitation. But now with the campaign, I, I'm afraid I won't be going. I wanted to be a fly on the wall to see what they were about. Uh, they were poised to be like a, another, uh, like an anti-WEF or World Economic Forum uh, group opposing the kind of globalism of the WEF. I wanted to see what was going on there. I'm not sure that I agree with uh, creating uh, this kind of overarching organization that tells you how to be a responsible citizen, frankly. I think people can uh, can figure that out for themselves uh, and uh, they can do so in their own terms. But I've got a, a few things queued up uh, to uh, questions from... Uh, the audience about policing and uh, immigration and stuff like that. But I want to go a little bit more into like, wh what do you think really motivates like the Klaus Schwab's and what's the guy, Yuval uh, Harari and, and all that stuff. Like uh, what's, what's really coming? Klaus Schwab. Uh, every country from the United States to China <laughs> must participate. And every industry from oil, gas to tech must be transformed. Uh, there's your imitation. <laughs> and, uh, what motivates them? They're megalomaniacs who believe they're benign dictators and that they know best and they should control our behaviors culturally, economically, uh, socially, uh, inter you know, uh, online, offline, everywhere. And even the metaverse, they say they want to govern. So these people are megalomaniacs. They think they know better than the average person what, they, what decisions they should make. They're central planners. Uh, they want centralized control from a global standpoint, not just at the national level. They want to erode national sovereignty because that stands as an impediment to the global uh, regime that they try to put in place. They constantly talk about global governance, and they find these crises to justify global governance, like climate change and the pandemics and all of these things are just pretexts for them to usher in their plans they use these things as pretexts to get to institute global governance. So this is why I say, you know, the the attack on national sovereignty is bad because what they want to put in place of it is not a stateless society. They want to put in place of a global governance. So the smaller the, the the governance system, the better. The smaller the locality that it reaches and controls, the better. So eliminating national sovereignty is not a good thing. Right. Yeah. Wanna, it's like, go, go ahead, Mike. No, you respond. I had a whole other question. So. No, I think that's, it's one of those things that as a, as a anarcho-capitalist myself, like it, it's sometimes it's, I'm in the uh, strange uh, uh, position of arguing in favor of like national sovereignty for things. But again, it's like, you know, 190 countries is better than 50, which is better than one, right? We don't want yeah. one world government. So like the, right. as a libertarian, we want, we don't want, Somebody I heard once said, well, what if there was just one world government, then that's almost zero. Well, it goes the other way, <laughs> right? Like we want, instead of 190 world governments or 200 or whatever yeah, it is now. That's, we, a, that's a mistaken view. If you think that one world state 
is the best system, then you have no idea because there's no escape from that unless you get on Elon Musk's rocket to Mars. Right. Okay? <laughs> that's the problem there. Uh, so to, that's totalitarianism. It's totalizing. It can uh, total control. And that is the ultimate totalitarianism if it's global. And, so, and yeah, we want more the better and the more the better. Well, it's just like Hoppe said, his vision for Europe would be what, like 15,000 Lichtensteins, right? Exactly. So, um, so I've got some. Uh, uh, well, I want to ask one more question before you get to the audience questions. Okay. Yeah. Um, so and, and uh, so one some people might ask, you know, Michael, you're you're just now like I haven't seen you inside of the party. You got other mm -hmm. people who are running that have been part of the uh, party for a while, yeah. uh, you know. What would your answer be to, to that? And, and what 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 do you plan on doing with your campaign uh, to support the party? Because the party has a, a history of candidates coming in, uh, running. You know, Gary Johnson basically almost didn't use the word Libertarian Party, you know, like mm -hmm. and, and um, so coming in, kind of using the party for its ballot access and then leaving. Um, yeah. You know, what what is your plan to support the party with your run and even after? Well, let me start from the premise, first of all, that I had really nothing to gain by doing this. You know, I mean, it wasn't to come in and use the party for some some personal purpose. Uh, I, I, I was called upon to, to, by the Mises Caucus to uh, run uh, for the purposes of growing the party uh, and growing it locally, uh, growing uh, candidates at the local basis, gaining uh, local control over governance. And uh, and also what I plan to do in the process, and I'm already I already got a long uh, big list of con contacts and e email lists, and I'm going to turn all of that data over to the party on an ongoing basis, and I call on all the other candidates to do the same. By the way, uh, I think that uh, so I'm sharing everything that I'm getting with the party back to the party, and I'm building the party at the same time. I've already sent out just to my own personal email list that came from my website, michaelrechtenwald.com, uh, a certain amount of emails, and I won't get into the exact number, but it's sizable. And from that, we've already gotten people contributing to the campaign and willing to volunteer for the Libertarian Party, not, not the campaign, but the party. Yeah. That's and awesome. And, and uh, so I, I would think that your, yeah, your website is already up. And, uh, it's, yeah, I'll, I'll put some links. Um, yeah, it's going to get filled out more. Uh, it's, we have it up, but we're going to be adding tremendously to it. And, what? uh, we're going to have videos very soon. If we're looking for videos, 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 you will have, if yep. you're looking for, uh, you know, flash on the website, you know, fading or, you know, imagery moving around. We could do that. <laughs> but I, I don't really think that's the criteria for uh, a candidate, whether there's like some kind of moving imagery on the screen. What we're looking for is moving a moving order and moving orator, a moving person, a, a person that can uh, actually drive more people into the party and not somebody that's just in an echo chamber talking to the same people over and over. And if uh, uh, if you want to, those of you who are, you know, active in, you know, the Mises Caucus state organizers and people active in your party, I'm sure, you know, we're still a little ways away from like actual, um, you know, 
can't, it's not going to be like next week where you're out uh, in a bus and all that stuff. But like, if you do want to have Michael come, you know, uh, campaign with one of your candidates and stuff like that, uh, let us know at the Mises caucus and, or, you know, just send it to through uh, Dr. Rechtenwald's website. But, and you know, that, that's kind of, I, I like the fact that we've talked about the last time you were on, um, uh, I think the last two times about project mm-hmm. decentralized revolution about mm-hmm. how that that's the long-term thing that we're not going to be um, mm-hmm. catching lightning in a bottle and, and, and beating both Biden and Trump next year, again, right. unless a miracle even happens, the, even though we have one that can't talk or walk <laughs> and the other one whose main campaign slogan is basically a, a meme, uh, a, a mugshot meme, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we can, uh, even though that's the case, you know, we don't expect to do that. But we are going to aim at five percent. Um, you want to let's do some of the the audience questions I got queued up here. So I want to know what Rechtenwald's position on policing and what he'll do to eliminate the boot in our backyards. That's from Ben Weir, who I think is uh, New Hampshire. Ben Weir, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that's a great question, and uh, you know, in a in a perfectly uh, prop, you know, private property society, of course, there would be no. Uh, police hired by the state to uh, patrol and so forth you would have your own property protection and uh and so forth but short of that we live in a, a different world of course and so i what my argument is is that we need to eliminate uh, the 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 fbi for example we need to eliminate the agencies so that you know uh the uh the the cia we need to get to- all the top down federal power off of us and vested in an, as local uh, control as possible, resting the guns uh, of your community away from anybody that is not loyal to that community and getting control of those uh, local guns and uh, local policing uh, by people that we know and can trust in the local setting so that we don't have you know, police abuse uh, but on the other hand, we're not uh, living under anarcho-tyranny as we are today. And that is to say, right now, uh, the, the question is, uh, is really allowing uh, criminality to run rampant while everyday citizens who are otherwise law-abiding are tortured and persecuted. This can't go on. So this is anarcho-tyranny. Uh, anarcho-tyranny is the worst form of government it terrorizes the citizens with crime and the police at the same time. And that's what we have today. Yeah, I want to actually tell a little story about that same kind of incentive problem about like the cops, just how the cops incentives are all flipped around. Uh, yeah. in, the, in the summer of love, uh, I actually went to a Black Lives Matter march in Philadelphia, like an event and march. Um, and I went down there to talk with people about what I would call the the, the Thomas Al Walter Williams uh, account of these issues that were being addressed about the police and all of that. And um, I was I was very surprised at, at the positive reaction that I was having from people as I talked about this. There was almost like a mm-hmm. sense of relief that we didn't have to form race mobs. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, no, it's 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 uh, no, it's really it, it's just liberty, man. It, it wasn't always like this. And, and you know, uh, all manner of things. So then. Uh, I walked with them for a little bit and eventually I dipped off and then I started listening to police scanners and Mm -hmm. I listened as the police scanners did some pit maneuvers and arrested all of these peaceful protesters Mm -hmm. that I was just with. I kept listening to the police scanners because I wanted to check out the riots and, 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 and go on the scene of the riots. 
And sure enough, you know, we found, you know, we heard reports, oh, rioting over here, blah, blah, blah. Get over there. The entire block was burnt. The yeah. entire block was was burnt. There was a store actively being looted. And then right across the street was a battalion of cops just standing there. So, yeah. like, they pit maneuvered and arrested all the peaceful protesters. Right. And then just let the friggin' rioters and looters. I couldn't believe what I was watching in real this life. Is, this is happening uh, writ large in society itself today. You, you're, you're, they're, they're letting actual criminals run, run rampant, and they're uh, torturing and terrorizing uh, otherwise, uh, you know, law-abiding people who are they, they are trying to uh, intimidate, and they're using the cr criminality and the police to intimidate us. And that's what they're that's what's going on. And uh, that's that that scenario is actually just being acted out on the whole social level. Yeah, you got the next one there. All right, there you go. Yeah, uh, uh, there's a question I want to I want to. <laughs> uh, can we do this one first? How do you plan on hand, handling the droning of the small but noisy group of deranged and jaded libertarians? <laughs> oh no, really? They exist? I didn't know that. Oh, I'm so so I'm so shocked, Mike. I can't believe this is happening. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, there it is. I couldn't. I you you saw it. I couldn't find it. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, um, my my approach to that is I'm not going to punch down, and uh, I'm not going to pay attention to them. Uh, I'm going to stay on the path of punching up at the powers that be, at the ruling class, state ruling class, and their beneficiaries, and all of the uh, all of their misdeeds and uh, you know tyrannical actions. That's where my focus is going to be. So they can try to needle me as much as they like, and uh, try to harass me and so forth, but it's not going to work. So you might as well give up now. So I, I, I put the immigration question up, but I want to do this yeah. one first and then go over to immigration because this kind of dovetails with just what we were talking about. Um, so uh, uh, 2A question, will uh, Dr. Rechtenwald's messaging include constitutional carry, concealed carry, reciprocity? And I'm not a gun guy. I'm a pacifist and I, 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 I don't know guns. So repeal of GFZs and RFLs. I don't know what that is. As a li Take my libertarian card. Uh, but uh, <laughs> But go uh, ahead. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, uh, you know, the Second Amendment, uh, f a full Second Amendment supporter. Uh, I think that every person has the right to a property and a weapon of, uh, to defend themselves from uh, other people and crime. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I agree with the, the uh, uh, concealed carry reciprocity and repeal of GFCs and RFLs. Absolutely. Yep. Um. Let's see the next one. There we go. And I, I told everybody what the Chinatown bus was on the last show. So if you want to know what that is, message me privately. But okay. Uh, so this is the big one. It gets a lot of libertarians up in a uh, uproar. I'm actually kind of in the middle when people start debating this one. Like I, in principle, I am a open borders guy. But like it's like the, when the it's like if the state owns the library and there's bums in the library. Mm -hmm. what there's no really good way to solve that other than privatization so yeah and not and so the border the state owns it the federal government yeah, that's, and, that's and the true, state it's a it's a huge it's a huge thing that's impossible to untangle in a truly libertarian way that i can I disagree see. i can untangle it okay, go ahead. <laughs> um 
but I want to hear from Brandy after this. Uh, maybe a question. Um, the the immigration situation is obviously a disaster right now. We're we're dealing with a real crisis. So, what is the proper libertarian response and policy towards immigration? Well, obviously, as you said, in a fully private property society, the only borders that would exist would not be the state borders or the national borders. They would be the property borders only. And that is the ideal. But we don't, we don't live in that world. We live in a world, as you said, where there's public property. Now, I don't believe that the state literally owns that property. I think that property was stolen by the state from citizens who pay taxes for it. So likewise, I consider private, uh, public, so-called public property a misnomer and a real conundrum, if there ever was one, as the, as the property of the citizens who paid taxes on that property. Likewise, I think that uh, immigration into those areas without an invitation uh, consists of a, uh, a violation of the NAP. And I think that should be uh, treated as such. And that is that we should have... Uh, border security and ports of entry uh, more, you know, we should make it easy, more easily accessible to get to borders of uh, uh, points of uh, points of entry and uh, processing things in a much more rapid way. But in effect, we need to have somebody who is private property vouching for these people so that they're not uh, becoming the wards of the state and they certainly shouldn't get social welfare. So, Open borders with social welfare is an absolute recipe for total disaster. That's what we've got right now. We're actually handing $2,200 to people when they cross the border and then paying them that, that much each month. What we should be doing instead is uh, having an uh, invitation, uh, basically inviting people into the property that is owned by the citizens and the private property of the citizens themselves. So... Um, that's it in a nutshell. Of course, I'm not going to be the president, most likely, unless we have a miracle. So I won't be deciding border policy or immigration policy. However, I think this point needs to be made clearly what a real principled position is. Because I don't think any party has to heretofore uh, has issued a real clear uh, principled immigration policy. And I think this is it. I, I want to say something quickly about that is that I think it's uh, no matter who the, the libertarian candidate is. And of course I think it's going to be uh, Dr. Rectowall, but like whoever in a theoretical presidential election year or, or libertarian candidates down ballot, I think that as libertarians, we need to recognize the fact that because this is such a complicated issue that it's like abortion. There are very yeah. principled, good libertarian takes that, we should allow people to talk about and not yes, demonize them as than this. Yes. Right. Without, and and, and let me say one more thing. So the, the, and the reason why is because a lot of people who are not libertarians who would be amenable to the libertarian message, if you say, Oh, especially you use a term like open borders, yeah. they're going to turn you off and not listen to anything you say. But if you talk about acknowledge that it is a problem for some States and see why normal people would have, um, you know, there's, I've been hearing some clips on the no agenda podcast of like, uh, people in like South side of Chicago, you know, black people are, you know, really upset that they're bringing all kinds of, uh, uh, immigrants into their neighborhoods at their, mm -hmm. at their expense. Yes. And so you got to acknowledge this is a problem and that there's, 
maybe uh, it's a difficult thing to solve and demonizing people who want to do something that's not purely libertarian from your perspective or, yeah. you know, whatever is just the wrong way to go. Uh, this I is agree. not going to be solved by sound bites. That's right. And I, I don't, and I, and I don't, I mean, listen, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to attack any open borders uh, candidates, uh, but I will say, I don't think it's the proper or correct uh, position. It's not the really principled position uh, of libertarianism. Private property is the libertarian position. Public property is not, is not state property. It's, it's, it's property of the citizenry. And likewise, uh, breaches into it are violations of the non-aggression principle. And likewise, we should move things to the local level as much as possible. If California wants to have an open border with Mexico, fine. But if some town within California doesn't want to have an open border, they should be able to uh, bar people from entering that place. So uh, the, the lo more local and down to the level of the private property owner we get, the better. Uh, I have a question. All right. Um, so the millennials have officially surpassed the boomers as the largest generation. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I just wonder how, what's your strategy to, uh, to get these ideas to the younger audiences, to millennials, Gen Z, even. Yeah. I mean, as I said, I'm going to go onto college campuses mm -hmm. and, uh, and meet them where they are and mm -hmm. uh, meet their ideas where they are and uh, try to appeal to them uh, from, from where their thinking probably lies. And it's interesting because it'll be trying to break through the programming and uh, ideological indoctrination they're receiving at the hands of their universities. And it'll be a breath of fresh air for these people. They'll feel liberated upon hearing what we have to say. Do you, do you have a digital strategy as well? Do you yes. have a plan digitally? Yes, I, I, I do. Uh, I'm not the, uh, the marshal of that, so I can't speak to it, but yeah. we're going to be using texting and we're going to be using, uh, uh, we're going to be using all the platforms that exist out there, uh, text uh, down to the text and everything else. So, but yeah, that's all being worked on by, uh, the, uh, the media team right now. You've got over 30,000 followers on Twitter right now too. So that's a starting from that is, uh, is yeah. a, a good good place to start from even though i don't think you're super uh savvy on it as uh, you and i both we're, we're way too old for twitter but we'll, we'll get <laughs> somebody who knows what knows what i they're mean doing i like twitter but I, I i like i like twitter as a tool um but uh, it's also a, uh it's also a false sense of reality that's given there uh people will say things and uh that they wouldn't say in public or to a person's face uh, and they they do things that are, uh, you know, and they're doing it under the cover of anonymity. So you have a lot of um, deceit and cowardice, frankly, and it's like a sewer pit in a way. So I try to stay out of that pit and stay at the uh, the message level to the to the degree that uh, I can, which is going to be 100 percent. Mike, you would you it up there, Anna. No, I told uh, you didn't uh, get my message. You're muted, <laughs> Yeah, I told Mike to 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 pick the next question here, but let me grab. Uh, it. I was I was engaged in the conversation. There. Okay, <laughs> so um, let me see. 
Uh, and we may want to um, kind of not like quite lightning round these, but maybe like shorter answers. Okay, sure. So that's kind of a big theoretical one. There was another question. Somebody asking you who your ideal vice presidential candidate would be. And before you answer this, Dr. Rechtwald, so the LP is different from Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, I know you know this. I'm telling everybody else that like it may not be up to you. But so the at the LP convention, delegates decide often another candidate who's running then will accept uh, a nomination for the, for the, um, uh, vice presidential slot. It could be somebody who hasn't run at all up to that point. Like if Dave Smith comes to the convention and we draft him and he changes his mind, we could pick him. Uh, we could pick whoever we want. So, but if, if you, uh, if it came to that, uh, who, what kind of person or, or names or whatever, would you like to see on your, uh, uh below your name on the, uh, on the yard signs? Uh, that's a great question. So, I mean, one of the one of the uh, listeners said that he would uh, ask me if I would try to get Bob Murphy to run with me. Um, Bob's a, a great uh, uh, friend, and also uh, he's also a consultant for the campaign. He's an economic advisor, and uh, you know, but I don't think he's the political type, and so I doubted he would do it. Um, you know, I'm looking for somebody that broadens the reach, that reaches into other milieus, that reaches into other uh, uh, groups that we can't get to otherwise. So I have particular people in mind. I don't want to spit out the names because I don't want to either commit them or mistakenly, uh, you know, uh, name them when they don't want to be named, uh, you know, but I have, I have some people in mind that I think would take us into different, uh, and reaching different segments of the population that we're not reaching. Uh, and you know, you can use your imagination on that. Um, I, I think there are a couple people in particular, especially one, that would be an ideal uh, running mate. I've got got one here. Another one from Hector. Hector, you have like two other really good questions that I'm just going to have to uh, pass on because I've already used one of yours. Um, but uh, Hector's question is, Florida has had more J6 prosecutions than anywhere in the country. Mm. What are your views on J6? Of course, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't say what that is because of the algorithms or whatever. But uh, I, I didn't know that Florida had some J6 prosecutions. But um, mm. what, what's your take on? on yeah, I that? mean, listen, if I say that I think that this is a this is an outrageous uh, political uh, uh, prosecution and persecution and we're setting up a gulag system in the United States to imprison political opposition. That's what it is. That doesn't make me a Trump supporter, okay? Let's make that clear. Just because I'm saying that the state is doing something that's wrong to a particular contingent doesn't mean that I am of that contingent. So I think the J6 protesters are being treated outrageously. Uh, they, are, they are being prosecuted and persecuted uh, on political grounds. And that is a sure sign of a totalitarian regime. That's what we're dealing with. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I get pissed off. I do get pissed off. And I, I believe me, some things have pissed me off lately and it's getting me going. Well, Let me see if this let's uh, let's get angry, Mike, to answer this one. Uh, would you call on Congress to indict every president who is still alive who committed war crimes, which would be every president who's still every, alive? That would I, be every president. That, if I was in <laughs> if I was in office, let me just tell you. I would have a Javier Malay moment where you're ripping down agencies, indicting presidents, 
uh, basically, you know, you'd be dismantling the federal government and throwing all the presidential war criminals into prison, plus investigating their accomplices in the military industrial complex and uh, all of the beneficiaries of the war regime. I would go after them all. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see. see. Let's see. Um, I got that one. Um, okay, this one. So bodily autonomy is a thing you mentioned. Abortion is when we mentioned abortion in passing. Mm-hmm. So this question is, what are your views on medical intervention, i.e. the medical procedures, vaccines, masking by the state and on elective abortion? Well, I've already talked about my uh, stance on uh, the vaccines and masking and, you know, all that. I think they were egregious, uh, egregious uh breaching of our bodily autonomy and so forth. Now, on the case of abortion, uh, I, I think that the states are now in control and they were, you know, with the repeal of Roe v. Wade, it's now been mandated to the states, to, remanded to the states to handle, and I think that's proper. You know, and then I have my own position on what I think about abortion, and that is not my you know, I'm not running on that position, but I, I do believe in the right to life. That is, every individual, uh, regardless of their size, has property in themselves and has a right to be protected for that property. Yeah, there's lots of, again, that's one of the, there's principled ways to, I've had people tell me that Ron Paul's not a libertarian. So like, yeah, that, I mean, that's that, how how dumb some people get on, on that one. Yeah. So. I mean, you listen, I, I know that there's all the libertarian theories about abortion. Like the baby is actually a squatter in the mother's body. I think that's obscene and it's, it's absolutely disregards the value of a human life. And so I can't go there. And I, and I don't care if I, what that means. I'm going to tell the truth. I, yeah. I'll tell the truth on everything. As a matter of fact. Um, Mike, do you, you see anything in there that you want to bring up or, Brandy, or a question of your own. A lot of the things uh, we've kind of already let's covered. Do, let's do this one. This one's red meat. We're the Mises Caucus. Okay. Go ahead and read it, Mike. So, uh, yeah, libertarians keep talking about private property. As long as there's a central bank, there's no private property. How to change that? Well, yeah. I mean, if obviously it's end the Fed. Uh, audit and end the Fed. Allow uh, private competitive banking and currencies. Uh, there's no reason why we have a central monopoly over uh, the currencies. That's over the currency. That's an outrage. We need to end that, allow private banks to compete, and allow private currencies to compete uh, in a true marketplace. You know, what is money but the half of every exchange? Uh, it's a commodity that, it's, that, that is half of every exchange that takes place. And yet it's monopolized by one private organization, private bank. This is outrageous. And they own, in effect, the other banks, uh, the major commercial banks. So this has got to stop. They have to be wiped out. We need to end the Fed. And that means, you know, repealing uh, the 1913 uh, uh, institution of the Fed and getting rid of them altogether uh, and auditing, seeing what damage they've done to the economy through an audit. As well. Yeah, I, th- I think the whole audit the Fed, when I first heard that, I was like, why just audit? But like, it was clear that 
just that got a lot of people like, well, what is the Fed, right? So like just anything yeah. that can get people thinking about it is a good thing. And of course, a, another thing that's gotten a lot of people thinking about the Federal Reserve and the nature of money and all that is Bitcoin. And I've heard you yeah. talk about that uh, uh, in the past. Uh, so Bitcoin is, a, a, I think, uh, first of all, to, to get rid of, uh, you know, uh, the Fed, you, you got to get rid of like the central uh currency, the central bank currency, and allow competitive currencies. Bitcoin certainly is a major uh, player in that, in that scenario. And it should be uh, legalized as a ten, legal tender. And similarly for uh, gold and silver, they should be draw, you can draw upon a reserve of gold and silver to pay for things. Uh, we shouldn't be limited in that respect. So I'm not saying that Bitcoin is everything, but I am saying that it is definitely a major piece some people say Bitcoin is the solution of all of our problems. Um, I think it's a, it would unravel a lot of problems. A lot of problems would go away uh, if, we, uh, if we, in fact, allow Bitcoin to be a legal currency. Yeah, yeah and I, really, I think... Go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, I, I liked what, uh, what RFK... Uh, like, RFK had, like, a, a wake-up moment with Bitcoin, and he described it at the, the Bitcoin conference, um, where... You know, being an environmentalist, there's like a narrative out there of like all these miners yeah. are using up all this energy and blah, blah, blah. And he was I think he was of that mindset. But then he talked about how then he saw what happened with the Canadian trucker protests and they were mm -hmm. having their banks frozen and all mm -hmm. of this crazy stuff. And so they resorted to Bitcoin to kind of keep that going uh, yeah, and, 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 and keep and, and survive. Yeah. And, yeah. and so he saw right then he's like, oh, this is an instrument of freedom. And, and mm -hmm. when you realize Absolutely. that. When, yeah, when you realize the potential uh, for for Bitcoin to, you know, bank the unbanked to transfer wealth almost instantaneously, uh, mm -hmm. almost for free around the entire globe without an intermediary, uh, it's yeah, incredible. It's, it's a revolutionary. Yeah, and uh, it's also one of the main answers to the CBDC, and we have to have these currencies in place before a CBDC, in, in case a CBDC is is put in place. If a CBDC is put in place, we have to resist it. We cannot use it. So what do we do? We have to have uh, parallel currencies in place and a parallel structure, a parallel economic structure where to spend such currencies of people that will accept it. So that, that's a huge part of uh, resisting CBDCs was going to be Bitcoin. And, and that effort can be decentralized as well, like because there are state level uh, laws that could be passed to uh, uh, legalize gold and uh, silver or Bitcoin at the state level. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, some states have done that. I know um, yeah. uh, Utah has done that. I think Missouri is working on that. Um, I think there's two or three where it's actually passed. Um, but yeah, like all of these things can be can be decentralized in their resistance. And aren't people like Warren trying to regulate crypto, though? Like uh, The Warren? federal government, uh, Biden issued a, a uh, executive order 14... 067 in which he uh argued strongly that we need to move ahead with the central bank digital currency and regulate cryptocurrencies so yeah, yeah they're trying to control it they're trying to get it under thumb and uh you know we need to get uh we need to do something about that uh there's been some sorry i'm sorry i cut you off in case that's possible yeah there's been some major court case wins for crypto, though, that uh, it's got mm -hmm. me a little bit white pilled. Like uh, the, yep. the 
I'm not a big fan of Ripple. It's kind of it's it's central bank coin. But the court case that they won uh, is is pretty big in that um, it should set the precedent that generally speaking, cryptos are not securities and therefore can't be regulated like securities. That's there right. is some there are some narrow instances in which they they are technically securities. Like if the the company or whatever producing the crypto sells directly to a, a, a institutional buyer. <laughs> Uh, you know, then it applies. But on an exchange where you don't know who you're buying it from, which is the vast majority, um, you know, so that was that was a big one. And I'm, I'm hoping to see. Yeah. Let, let me say also that I have I, ha I will have and I have on my team already, but I will have more. I will have the best Bitcoin advisor in the world on my team. That That's not me, is it? <laughs> no because yeah um yeah um i know i know who he's talking about and it would be freaking great and i would love to see you on right. uh, that person's show so i wanted to to throw something up here and uh this uh cs has been kind of asking questions throughout the the show and i think that um he's got some good questions i think it is a little bit early but like his question is hey michael rectowell's positions are solidly and convincingly lp Translating those positions in concrete ways to the general voting population will take some doing. Convince us how you'll accomplish that. And Mike, I'm going to answer that for you first, and then you can answer it. But like, <laughs> it's this isn't the world that I grew up in, where you had to get a soundbite of five seconds and hope you got on the ABC Evening News with Peter Jennings, or covered by the local paper, you know, and your your one paragraph uh, that has two little quotes in it. Like this is you know, campaigning on podcast and we're, yeah. you know, compared to uh, some other podcasts that you've already been on and will be on this podcast is absolutely nothing, but people really are the people whose minds are open to Liberty. Um, they don't consume the media where they, okay. I, you know, I have, you know, like watching the debates and stuff like that. Nobody's mind is, uh, 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 changed by those one in a million. So I, I think that you're what you're doing. If somebody yeah. has sit through this and listened to it, I, I don't know how you could do it any better than that. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, but let me just address the question in, in, in this way. You know, I will talk at a certain level to a certain audience and a certain register with certain language taken for granted as understood, like the NAP or something like that. But when I reach, you know, I taught university for 25 years from the freshman level all the way through graduate school. And of course, I learned how to uh, to uh, adapt and adopt my rhetoric and my language and my uh, appeal and, uh, and and my uh, vocabulary to the to the audience in question. So I start with where people are. And I get a grasp of where they are and what they understand right now and go from there. I've, I've had years of practice in doing this, teaching in universities. And uh, I even taught in the eighth grade at one point uh, in, between, uh, uh, in between my career in advertising and uh, academia. Um, so I could teach at that level and I can teach at the... Uh, at the advanced degree level as well. You're a brave man. I, I taught about 10 years ago. I taught at a, a charter high school in inner city Dayton for a while. And then after that, I, I did some subbing at another school and 
it was both high school and junior high. And after like a couple of months, I was like, yeah, don't give me the junior high kids anymore. That's the toughest. Yeah, yeah, they're really rough. I mean, uh, uh, they would be like, I'd turn around to write on the board and they'd be throwing their books out the window. I'd turn around and two girls have their pants down. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, so it was crazy. Eighth grade is like, in, it's the animal house of, uh, of, of, of grade school. It's yeah. If you could, if you can survive that, that might get you ready for the, the libertarian party. Yeah, well, it's close. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> um, anything else? Uh, I know we're kind of gone a I little longer than we said. Randy, if she has any questions. Oh, yeah, we already had that one. I believe he is single, Brandy. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> yes, I am, Brandy. <laughs> All right, so that's it. That was the question. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> um. So, all right, I have a question. What do you think uh, makes you a fit leader? What, what what are qualities that you have that you think make you a good leader and good for this position? Well, I think that, um, you know, first of all, I'm articulate, I believe, and I'm principled and I'm fair and I have good judgment. Uh, I'm very uh, stable and uh, I think you can count on me to be the same person from day to day. I don't have any background that's nefarious or, you know, dark. Uh, you know, I don't have a Russell Brand moment in my past. Uh, I have uh, a great deal of, uh, uh, I think, uh, I have a lot of conviction. And, and uh, you can count on me to be loyal and to be extremely uh, perseverant. And uh, I don't back down from anything. I haven't backed down and I won't back down. This is uh I'm curious to know this one. Then I'm I have one more one more of my own that's kind of analogous to that. Well, what's your favorite novel? My favorite novel. Crime and Punishment, Dostoevsky, actually. Nice. I that's a good it's one. Great, it's the greatest novel ever written, in my opinion. Second greatest novel, in my opinion, in English is uh, Middle March by George Eliot. George Eliot, of course, was a woman writing under pen name. Yeah, I um Les Miserables is Probably my favorite. It's up there. Um, my question was, uh, what's your favorite Bob Dylan album? I know oh, that's a great one. Yeah, uh, that's a really good question, and it might be surprised to find the answer, but it's "Slow Train Coming." That is a that is a surprising answer. Musically, uh, musically and lyrically, it's the greatest. It's a great album. Now. And it's, it's got a great band on it too. It's really great well band. produced. You had Mark yeah. Knopfler on guitar. You had, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, there's some great songs on there. But you know, lyrically, I'd say "Blonde on Blonde" was the masterpiece. Yeah, lyrically, and and uh, of course, "Blood on the Tracks" was one of the best albums for the Lovelorn. Yeah, uh, and uh, so I've you know Lovelorn uh, experiences. I, I I I've had a few of my own, so I know what that's like. And that was like the album I had on repeat. For yeah. almost six months. We just got a thing in the chat, Love and Theft, which is in my top five, too. That's a good a, one, too. So, blah, I mean, blah, blah. That's a hard, that's almost an unfair question because Bob Dylan has an Uber <laughs> that's so extensive and incredible. Yeah. Uh, There's one question that this one guy has been crying about nobody answering. And I just, I'm like, I'm just going to say, all right. Um, He wants to know. Yeah, I think Brand's being set up, too, but sorry. Uh, go ahead. No, no. He says he wants to know why. Uh, 
you scrubbed your university work off the internet? I would assume I didn't probably scrub anything it, off the internet. He's yeah, asking oh, about something called American Scholars or something. American, the company went out of business. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm so uh, confused, I, but he won't shut up about it. And I was like, oh, I was, uh, I was, so I was a principal on the. Uh, I was the act, chief academic officer of this organization, and uh, when I was uh, in the hospital, actually. Uh, after a COVID bout, uh, they changed the direction of the company without my uh, input, and they took it down the wrong path. And by the time I got out, they had basically bankrupted it. So yeah. I had a wholly different plan for that company. Uh, I was a principal in that company. I took my equity out before they crashed, so that's good. Um, yeah. But nevertheless, uh, no, nothing's been scrubbed. The company went down, so they took the website down. But you can find all my academic work all over the place, including michaelrechtonwell.com. Uh, I, I keep my academic publications there, uh, even things that are left in orient orientation. I don't try to hide anything in my You path. still got your commie work on there? Commie-esque work? <laughs> some, of them, some of them are on there, yeah. I mean, I can't find them all, but some of them are on there. There's, a, there's an essay called uh, The Singularity and Socialism, uh, things like that you'll find uh but uh yeah as many as i could dig up i haven't uh i haven't scrubbed anything i have no uh, i have nothing to be uh ashamed of um i also wanted to mention that um i know you came you had a really really bad bout with covid right and i remember yeah. i was i was praying for you and i was trying Thank to find you. out like i remember you had posted on Facebook. And then I didn't hear for a couple of days. And I was, there was one day I was just like really sad and I was like, Oh no. So I'm glad here a couple of years later that I'm, I'm talking yeah. to you about Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah. I survived it and I still didn't get the vaccine. They tried to force it on me in the hospital. Uh, I don't, I didn't get really ill from COVID as much as I did from the medications they put me on when I went to the hospital. Yeah, uh, They put me on a blood thinner that caused an ulcer in my stomach. Little, Jesus. little did I know. This I almost bled to death internally. That's Oof. what that's what the problem was. Well, well thank God I, you didn't get a ventilator. Yeah, yeah. right. Or res, uh, remdesivir. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah. To, uh, my sister had a really bad case, and her her doctor, um, and stuff was for and did not go to the hospital and she's still alive. So I'm, I'm glad that, uh, yeah. Oh man, the COVID stuff just makes me so mad just thinking about it, but I'm glad we've got you to speak out against, uh, more of that stuff. Um, I know we, yeah, we've went way past the time, but, uh, uh, any, who else, Mike Brandy, um, I've said my piece about glad that, uh, he's yep. still here and willing to do this fight. Um, so, what have you got before we say goodbye? I got no more questions. I think you've answered all the ones that I wanted to know. I'm excited to see how this campaign goes. I am. I'm. 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 I'm in it. I mean, I'm. So I will be honest. I'm reluctant to support like anyone because I've been jaded by a lot of candidates in my life. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so I'm. I'm. I'm still. I think I'm supporting you. <laughs> Thank you. That's good enough. This. Just get 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 wrecked with us. I'm never going to say what people just want to hear. I'm going to say what I, I think, and I'm going to tell the truth all at all times. And I respect oh, he, that. I respect that. Here's one kind of uh, uh, kind of fun, quick one. Then, Mike, I'll let you kind of close it out. But like, I, I've thought it might be a good sort of marketing thing, uh, not because again we think that it's going to happen, but as a, a way to help the campaign of like 
maybe like putting together a shadow cabinet. So let's assume, <laughs> you know, we, we already talked about vice president, but like secretary of state, attorney general, um, oh, that's secretary of defense, like uh, what, what type of people like, this is like fantasy football, but only fantasy politics. Okay. Yeah. 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 So g- give us your top three or four cam- cabinet okay, positions I, of who you would I'm take. I'm going to put uh, Walter block and uh, Bob Murphy as uh, economic, uh, as, as the uh, head of, uh, uh economics or economic advisors or uh as what, what is that position? it's called like council of economic advisors yeah something like that yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll be on that um i i need a minister of, uh you know what i don't want to have all these positions i don't well i want to get rid of these things like we don't want a ministry <laughs> of culture we don't want a ministry we don't want the fed we don't want these things so no no well, you can you can appoint based. the final, like the final. <laughs> uh, you can appoint the final, um, you know, like Homeland Security director is the guy who would uh, uh, yeah, uh, abolish no, the it. Final one will be the one who's in there. Uh, that's the one who's in there when I'm <laughs> when I get there. They're the last one. I'm not okay. adding anybody to these places. So I'll be your ministry uh, of, of culture. Is that a thing? There won't that's be a ministry of culture. There will be not a Department of Education. There will not be a, an F- FBI. There will not be an ATP. There will not be. Any of these things, they'll all be gone. Love it. Awesome. Mike, I'll let you uh, say what you need to say before we say goodbye. Well, no, I just uh, echo what, what Aaron had to say. I thank you for doing this. Um, you know, there, there's, uh, we need leaders. I mean, organic leaders uh, in the Liberty movement. There's not enough. Uh, and, you know, really appreciate you stepping on to take that mantle uh, and, and to run in a way that supports the party and, and, uh, actually build something from the ground up so that it can be an effective state fighting tool. Uh, that was the whole point of the takeover to, to you know, kind of take back the messaging, get that back to our principles, and then do something with it. Uh, yes. And so I really the, appreciate if, it. If the, if the Libertarian Party uh, vests this uh, in me and confidence in me, it will become a better party by the time I'm done. It'll be bigger, stronger, and it'll have firmer foundations at the local level. Uh, I will make this party through the help of other people in enrolling and in enlisting people into this party to build it from the ground up so that there's a really strong anti-state structure in place by the time this is over. All right. Uh, where can, where can Wall, people, hang on. Where can people keep up with the campaign? That was what I was going to say, but oh, go okay. ahead. <laughs> it's uh, I'll tell you what, the easiest way to re- get to the website is wreck the regime, R E C the regime.com wreck the regime.com go there and you get to the website and you see everything sign up, join the libertarian party. If you're not a member, get on the mailing list, uh, et cetera. Donate if you can For, uh, on Twitter. I'm at wreck the regime, wreck the regime on Twitter. And then on YouTube, wreck the regime. Uh, basically it's going to be wreck the regime all across the board. And that's what we're going to do. All right. Oh yeah. Thanks, uh, Michael. We'll, we'll see you down the road. And, uh, I don't know if we have a guest lined up for next week yet, but, uh, it'll be a good one next Monday, seven thirty Eastern. Thanks guys. We'll see you later. Thank you. Thank you. Good night.